The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. But Acts 19.1 is where we'll start, and then we'll flip over to Ephesians 3. It says this, Acts 19.1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks." And our next text is Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. It's God's word for us today. Uh, Well, today we're we're starting a new series called Imagine That. Uh, And uh, and first of all, you can kind of see the the decoration here. If you get a chance, Carrie Carey is the the gal who did all this. She's, She's part of our congregation. I think she did an incredible job. And so if you see her, if you know her, she's not here right now. She usually comes to 11. Uh, but say thanks because she did awesome. But we're in this series called Imagine That. Uh, and it's going to be for the Advent and the Christmas season. And for those of you who maybe have used the word Advent a bunch, if you maybe didn't grow up in a church that, that celebrates Advent, let me just share with you a little bit what it is. Uh, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, uh, which means to arrive. And so for us, Advent is this season, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, where we anticipate the arrival of Jesus. Uh, First, of course, as as a baby on Christmas morning when he came 2,000 years ago. And then we anticipate his arrival again as our coming king, who's going to renew all of creation. And so for this series, along with our our brothers and sisters uh, across the Acts Network, uh, we're going to be in this series called Imagine That. And we're going to be looking at just one chapter of the Bible. All four weeks, we're looking at one chapter of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 3. And we're exploring this idea of imagine that. Uh, and so earlier this week, actually, I sat down with, with Leon, who y'all just, just met. He came up here, and uh, he's going to be speaking up here in a couple weeks, uh, which is going to be really great because he's got an awesome British accent, so we'll get to listen to it the whole time. Very excited. Uh, so, uh, so, so he'll be up here to do that. But as we were going through it, and we were walking through Ephesians 3, he's like, so Gabe, like all of Advent, one chapter of the Bible, it's a bold move, man. It's a bold move. And it is. Uh, but but I'm, I'm really excited. And so what I want to do is just spend today kind of unpacking and kind of lay the foundation for us to get into Ephesians 3. So we're really only going to cover one verse of Ephesians 3. But I just want to lay the foundation of this idea of imagine and this idea of getting us into uh, Ephesians 3. And so here's going to be our outline today. is going to be imagine that, imagine the implications, and imagine hope. Okay, that's what we're going to see today. Imagine that. Imagine the implications. Imagine hope. And so let's get going. Uh, imagine that comes from verse 20 in chapter 3 of Ephesians, of this chapter uh, of the Bible. So let me just read it for you. It says this. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. All right? Now the word for imagine there uh, is this Greek word nous, N-O-U-S. Uh, noose, right? And, and, and in, in other English translations, uh, you'll see it translated as like to think or to understand. Uh, we're using the NIV for this verse where they translate it imagine. And the reason there's kind of this variety of translations around this word noose is because it's actually a very technical, philosophical term. It's a very weighty philosophical term. It's very hard to translate. And it's this word that's been deba- debated by philosophers throughout the centuries, that, that, that the ancients, from, from Homer to Socrates to Plato and Aristotle, they're all figuring out what this word noose means. What are we really trying to get at when we say this? And even contemporary philosophers, which we're going to dig into a little bit today, uh, they're still trying to figure out what does it mean, this word noose? How do we understand it? Because here's the deal. To noose, in one sense, it means to think. But it's not like thinking about like facts or knowledge or just like rational processes. News is really, it's, it's like, it's about this idea of sort of a, a higher way of thinking, a higher knowledge, sort, sort of a way of how we sense, how we understand, how we perceive our world to be. It sort of gets at how we imagine the world works. And so this text is saying God does more than, than we sort of perceive our world to be. He's, he's at work in ways that, that even our highest comprehension can't comprehend. Uh, so there's this contemporary scholar named Charles Taylor uh, who wrote a book called A Secular Age. Uh, and, and in his book, he talks about what he calls social imaginaries. And we're going to dig into it today, all right? So I hope you brought your thinking caps. It's going to be like wading in the deep water, all right? So just hang with me. If you need to take a nap halfway through, it's fine. Uh, but but uh, in a secular age, Charles Taylor, this Canadian philosopher, uh, he defines a social imaginary like this. Broader and deeper than the intellectual schemes people may entertain when they think about social reality in a disengaged mode. And I know many of you think about social reality in a disengaged mode. Uh, a, uh, a social imaginary is the way ordinary people imagine their social surroundings And this is often not expressed in theoretical terms. It is carried in images, stories, legends, etc. All right, so his point here is this, is that implicit in each of us, in each one of you, and in our broader culture as a whole, is just a way that we assume the world is. That kind of in the back of our heads, there's a way we just imagine the world operates. We just sort of have it implicit in us. And in his book, he goes into what that looks like for the modern West, but his book is 900 pages long, so we're not going to go into all that today, right? Like, we got other things to do, you know? Uh, But what he ends up landing on is this, is that our, our noose, our social imaginary, how we perceive the world to be, is what he calls a closed, imminent frame. What does that mean? What that means is this, is that in our day in and day out life, Even those of us that may believe in the transcendent, those of us that may believe in the supernatural, in our day in and day out life, it doesn't really dictate much for us. We live as if those things don't exist. In our day in and day out life, we just sort of live as if what we see is all there is. And he calls that a closed, imminent frame. All right, tracking with me so far? All right, and so oddly enough, uh, his understanding of our current social imaginary is probably best summarized by the first words of John Lennon's song, Imagine. John Lennon says this, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. 
And see, this is the line where, where I think he captures our social imaginary. Imagine all the people living for today. And so the point here is not that, that we don't believe in whether or not there's a heaven or hell. The point here is that in our social imaginary, in our day-to-day existence, transcendent or supernatural realities don't really impact how we perceive the world in general. Okay? We all tracking with me? I know we're up here. Just hang with me. All right, so, so all of this to say is that there's a way we imagine our world to be. But what I love about Ephesians 3 verse 20 is it says that we have a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That God is at work doing things beyond what we can perceive, beyond what we're dreaming about. That God, in his transcendence, is at work in in places we don't even have categories for. Imagine that. Imagine that. And see, that's what Advent is about. That's what Christmas is about. The God who defies our ability to comprehend. That somehow 2,000 years ago, a little baby named Jesus was actually born in this world, in a real town that actually exists called Bethlehem. And that this baby was somehow 100% human, just like you and me. And somehow 100% divine the God of the universe, and that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God is somehow reconciling the world to himself, that the infinite God of the universe who who created ever-expanding galaxies and sustains every breath we breathe, that he entered into our humanity. And somehow that's changed the course of the cosmos. And somehow that's changed the course of your life and mine. Imagine that. Like, it's beyond our capacity. It's beyond category. But if that's all true, imagine the implications of that. Imagine the implications of something like that. And see, this is the story of the early church. That in the person of Jesus Christ, these first Christians were like, something has happened. Like, God has been in the flesh here, and we've got to tell people about it. And so they go into the world telling everybody that that God has become imminent, that the transcendent God has become imminent. And so in our text from Acts for today, we see the Apostle Paul goes to the city of Ephesus. And so let me just lay out for you real quick what the city of Ephesus is like. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. Uh, third only behind Rome and Caesarea. So you go Rome, Caesarea, Ephesus. It was, it was a cosmopolitan city. It was a, it was a major hub for trade. It's kind of located right on the Mediterranean coast in, in what is modern-day Turkey. And so it's, this, it's, the, it's really the leading city in the richest region of the entire Roman Empire. And the Apostle Paul in our text in Acts says, that's the place where I want to take the gospel. That's where I want to take this message of God, become man for the sake of the world. And so we see what happens in our text, if you guys caught it, is the first thing he does is he gets to Ephesus and he connects with the, with the believers who are already there. And he talks to them, and there's this whole baptism thing, and he, he does that. And then the next thing he does, he says, all right, let's start telling people about this God. Let's start telling people about this Jesus. And so look where he goes first. Look with me at verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. All right, so, so Paul goes to the synagogue, which is where uh, the Jewish people, God's people in the Old Testament would have worshipped. And Paul goes to them first. 
And he goes to them first as, as if to say this, right? I mean, you can just kind of imagine his reasoning with them in the synagogue, right? To just be like, you guys, the God that, that we have been taught about our whole lives, the God we've worshipped, the God that we know, Yahweh, he, somehow he's, he's come here. He sent his son who's, who's been here in flesh and blood. His name's Jesus Christ, and he's invited all of you into the kingdom of God. And so you can imagine Paul trying to, to reason with his friends in the synagogue here, but look at how they respond, verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus. Didn't go to seminary for four years to mispronounce that word. All right. All right. So, so at least initially, uh, the Jewish people resist Paul's message. Now, why would they do that? Why would they resist Paul's message? Here's why. Because it didn't fit their social imaginary. It didn't fit their noose. That the transcendent God of the universe, Yahweh himself, who delivered them from slavery in Egypt, he's not coming to dwell with us in our flesh. That doesn't fit our category. That's breaking all the molds. And so they reject Paul's message. And so what does Paul do? He moves to the hall of Tyrannus. Now, Tyrannus was a, a Greco-Roman lecture hall. And what would happen there is the great philosophers of that day would go to this lecture hall and they'd speak about the way they thought the world worked and how we should perceive it and how we should live into it. And so Paul first proclaims his message to the Jewish people, but then he goes and proclaims his message uh, to the pagans. And I use that term pagan, and we get all fat. I'm not using it in a pejorative sense. This is the technical term. Uh, these were people that worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, and anything else. And in fact, in Ephesus, uh, as, as you may know, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world is there, uh, the temple of, of Artemis. And Artemis was seen as the goddess of nature, that she controlled nature, that she controlled the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything else. Uh, and so it's actually where we get a lot of our modern sensibilities, our modern understanding of, of astrology. Right? That's the one with the zodiac? I always mess that up. Astrology, astronomy. Astronomy is real stars, right? Astrology is the voodoo. Okay, cool. Uh, so, um, so anyways, so, so that's, that's where a lot of that got started. So just listen to the words of this uh, first century writer who's from Ephesus uh, named Manilius. He says, From long observation, it was discovered that the stars control the whole world by mysterious laws, that the whole world itself moves by an eternal principle, and that we can, by reliable signs, recognize the ups and downs of fate. Now think about this. It's into this context, I guess I didn't give her the quote. It's into this context that Paul shares his message. That he says, hey, there's, there's one God, actually, and the stars don't control your fate, but actually he does. He's in control of all things. And that this God came to dwell with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that if you join your life to him, your fate can be changed. You can be attached to the hope that he offers both now and into eternity. Now, you've got to imagine that is going to challenge their social imaginary. It's going to be hard for them. That's going to be an earth-shattering idea for them to grab hold on. And so look how long Paul spends in Ephesus. Look at verse 10. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul spends two years, day in, day out, 
talking with people, trying to share the message of a God who's beyond our imagination. Again and again, two years doing this, and we didn't read it. But what's amazing is that it works. That Paul's message actually gets across. That that these, these pagan folks in Ephesus actually come to believe the gospel. They come to believe in Jesus and this God who's beyond imagination. And in fact, if you continue to read in Acts 19, it's crazy. So many of them that convert that it actually hurts the local economy. That, that the guys who are like selling idols and magic books and all this sort of weird stuff for, for idol worship, they're like, no one's buying our stuff anymore. They keep worshiping this Jesus. And so these guys, they start a riot in the city because the, so many people convert. Like, it's crazy what happens. See, when our lives are captured by the God who's beyond imagination, crazy stuff happens. Crazy stuff happens. So a few months ago, uh, I received an email from a guy who, who claimed to work for a man named Bekela, uh, who he said was the director for the Global Alliance of Church Multiplication. And that this guy, Bekela, wanted to meet with me to learn about our church multiplication process. And I'll be honest, I got this email and I totally thought it was a scam. Um, I just did, because you may not realize this, but if your name is like on a church website, like Tanner and I just got one this week. Some guy's like, the world's ending in three days. Send me $500. Like it, it doesn't make any sense, but we just get stuff like this all the time. And so I thought, man, this is another one of these crazy guys out there. Checked into it. They're a real thing. So I was like, all right, I'll get breakfast with this guy. So I sit down with, with Bekela, who's a super nice guy from, from Ethiopia, probably in his mid to late 40s. Uh, and he says to me as we sit down for breakfast, he says, so Gabe, tell me about you know, your vision for, for church multiplication. Uh, and I shared with him what, what our vision is as the Acts Church Network, that our goal is to plant 25 churches in the Austin area by, by 2025. Uh, and I'll be honest with you all, usually when I share that, I feel kind of proud, like, oh yeah, we're hustling hard, we're trying new things, doing this cool stuff. And so then I said to him, I said, hey, uh, Michaela, what, what's yours? I mean, you're the director of the Global Alliance of Church Multiplication. What's, what's your vision for, for church multiplication? And he said, well, I thought about like this, Gabe. There's, give or take, 7 billion people in the world. 2 billion of those people are Christians, uh, which leaves 5 billion people who don't know Jesus. And he goes, so my goal is to have a church for every 1,000 people that are outside the faith right now. And he said, so by 2020, Gabe, my goal is to plant 5 million churches around the world. <laughs> and he wasn't kidding. You know, like, he's totally serious. So, like, I sat back on my chair, and I was like, this is crazy. And he's got this whole strategy for it. You can look it up online. He's got all these partners he's working with. But anyways, I asked him, I said, bro, like, like where does, I can't even imagine. You know, like, where does an idea that big, five million churches, where does an idea that big come from? And he said, well, Gabe, let me tell you how I came to faith in Jesus. And he shared with me that, that he grew up in a, in a rural village in Ethiopia. And that he grew up the son of, of a father who was a, an angry and abusive drunk and who he believed was, was literally afflicted by demons. And he said one day evangelists came to his little village, and they shared the gospel with his father. And his father actually came to faith in Jesus, and these, these demons left him. And then what was incredible is that his father, who had never learned to read, could actually read the words of Scripture. He still couldn't read anything else. We read the words of Scripture. And his dad ended up evangelizing this entire village. And so he said, Gabe, I've seen God do incredible, amazing things. And so if this dream I have, five million churches, is actually from him, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you talk about, like, beyond my imagination, right? Like, that's crazy. 
And listen, I realize that story probably challenges our social imaginary as Western folks, right? And that's exactly the point. Like, this is what God does. He takes our assumed views of reality, our assumed ways of this is how things should operate, and he blows it out of the water. That's what he does. So listen, as we close, let me say this. I, I realize this has, again, been kind of a, a headier sermon, right? And some of you maybe came in here and you're like, cool, another quote from a philosopher. Thanks, Pastor Gabe. You know, I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. My kids are all over the place. My loved one is sick. But no, you just keep talking about social imaginaries and give us a history lesson, right? Really glad I came to church today. Fair enough, if that's you. Maybe take your tone down a little bit, okay? But <laughs> fair enough. Um, but here's what I'm driving towards. Here's what I'm driving towards. See, so often we get drawn into our circumstances. We get so overwhelmed by what's right in front of us. We get so used to the way we think that things ought to work, the way we imagine things ought to work, when the reality is God is doing more than we can imagine all the time. And so I want to invite you to imagine hope because that's the nature of the gospel. To imagine hope. Look at verse 1 in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. All right, so we explored how this church got started in Acts 19, right, in Ephesus. And it's been about five years since Paul started this church. And he's writing them a letter. That's where we're at right now. And he's writing them a letter. And where does it say he's writing this letter from? He's a prisoner. So he's writing this letter from prison. We know uh, historically that he's in prison in Rome at this time. So Paul is in rough circumstances, right? He's, he's locked up in chains writing to these people, but he recognizes the God who is at work beyond our imagination. He says, I'm there on account of proclaiming Jesus Christ for your sake. To you Gentiles, to those of you that are far from God. And so it says, if Paul is saying here, hey, I'm in prison physically, but God still sent me to set people free spiritually. That they can bind me physically, but they can't bind what God is going to do through me. Like there is a whole series of letters in the New Testament where Paul writes to people while he's in chains, while he's in prison. And again and again, his message to his audience is this, hey, I know this looks bad, but trust me, God's at work here. Trust me, God's doing something greater than you or I can imagine. Now, where does that come from? Like, like where does that kind of buoyancy come from? Like, like, wouldn't you like to have that kind of hope? Wouldn't you like to, to be able to face any circumstance and still trust in God's goodness in the midst of it? Like, like, how does Paul tap into that? How does he do that? The gospel. The gospel. Paul knows the gospel. Paul's deeply believed the gospel. He's brought it into his heart. See, the gospel is this, that, that Jesus Christ was born the son of a carpenter and not a conquering king, that Jesus Christ was this baby who was born on the run. He was targeted for death from day one. He was ruled under the thumb of an empire, and yet he somehow completely changed the entire world. And how do you do that? Through dying on a cross. Like, how does that work? God works beyond our imagination. 
And so Jesus doesn't stay dead, but he rises to new life and he sends his spirit into his people that the whole world might know the forgiveness and the life that he offers. See, God works beyond our imagination. And so don't you think he could do that in your life too? Don't you think he could do that in your life too? Don't you think it's possible that the God who works beyond our imagination is at work in your life in ways you can't even comprehend right now? See, I don't know where every one of you is this morning. I don't know what's going on in all of your lives. But I know that the gospel is true. That in your darkest sin, God's grace still shines. That in your hardest times, God is still present. That in your lowest of lows, God is still at work. And that what meets our eye is not all there is but that you have a God who is at work for you beyond your imagination. Imagine that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you work beyond our imagination. God, we don't always understand what you're doing, but we trust that you're good, that you're working all things for your good. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus for us, that we might know you, that we might know your love. Teach us to lean into that right now. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.